Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for Monday, November 9th, 2020. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, as has been our trend recently, we're going to have a conversation, very free form. We're going to process what's going on with the election, which has been called in favor of former vice president and now president-elect Joe Biden. And as always, we're going to do our best to draw information from a variety of sources, being aware of our biases, doing our best to acknowledge that we want to stay in good faith, keeping ourselves and our loyal listeners adequately informed. Yeah, we acknowledge that we don't have the view from nowhere. (gasps) We have opinions. But we all acknowledge that we have those opinions. We are only human. We uh, we recognize that other viewpoints are valid. We are not on the ivory tower, not looking down below at all the peasants with their hypocrisies. No, we are pure. No, wait, that's not what we are. But yes, um, I'm a little remiss, Evan, that um, you stated... Uh, who the president-elect was without using their full name like is customary. Okay, um, go ahead. Our, presi- our president-elect, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. I don't have anywhere else to go with that, but that's... Uh, that's Robinette, it's, it's a unique middle name. Is it like a... Uh, a mother's maiden name for, I guess, for his grandmother? How, how do, you, do you know the story I don't of Robinette... Know. I don't I don't have the Robinette inside. Um, All right, adequately informed scavenger hunt listeners, tell us where Robinette. we get Robinette. Where is it from? <laughs> um, is it a brand of margarine? I don't know. Um, it sounds. I think like for it, but... actually, if it was coming from Joe Biden's father, it's probably a brand of Oleo. Oleo. <laughs> What's Oleo? Like basically, old man margarine, like uh, uh, vegetable fat that was spreadable. Oh, okay, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, um, so last time we spoke was in great pessimism or great fear that bad things could happen. A cautionary, and, I would say. Yeah. Tone. Cautionary. Yeah. And here we are on the other end of it where almost our exact worst case scenario happened to some degrees and things are kind of fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what happened? I'm sure, you know, we don't really need to recap because I'm pretty sure everybody who has listened to this has, I don't know, experienced the last week of election (laughs) week. Um, I'm pretty sure people in other countries who even just don't pay attention to things understood what was going on in America because it was a ride. But Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been big international attention in this. Uh, my wife has uh, basically a an online friend group uh, around the game Animal Crossing, and many of them are stationed in the UK, and they have been glued to the American election for the past week. Yeah. So in brief, what happened was we came up on the election. Election day happened. 
then there was a whole bunch of stuff that was predicted ahead of time of what was going to happen with different votes in different states, i.e. Um, some votes being counted and ready to go immediately and results being given and other states um, needing days to count all their votes, which was all stuff that was predicted ahead of time. But in the thick of it, it's sometimes hard to remember what you know and you just get consumed in the moment. So we had, quote, the anxiety for the last uh, week. Oh, yeah. Until the race ended up being called on Friday. I think it was Friday. Friday? Um, Friday. Yeah, Friday is when Decision Decks... Desk and Vox called it, and then mm. CNN and the the more uh, everybody else TV news called it on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, so election day was on Tuesday, and we truly knew on Saturday. Way to go, individual states. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it it you know it has been kind of like. You know, this is definitely the outcome you and I were, ho- well, at, at least at the presidential level, yeah, the outcome he- you and I were hoping for. Um, it also looks like um, uh, Democrats down ballot have not done as well as. Yeah, the uh, the race that I was really. Uh, hopeful for was my f- uh, 5th district in Indiana here um, had a very promising Democratic challenger Christina Hale the Republican incumbent was retiring so she had to face off against Victoria Sparts a Ukrainian immigrant CPA um, who apart from her status as an immigrant CPA just seemed really shady um, seemed to be self-financing her campaign, but would not disclose where the money was coming from. Apparently spent over a million dollars and like, good for you accountants, but you don't make a million dollars. And so, and, and, you know, just seemed completely ignorant uh, in the debate, said that systemic racism did not exist and just pulled a lot of really thin arguments to, to support that claim in a way that's just patently ridiculous um, but she ended up winning by, I think, a four or five point margin. So it didn't end up even mm-hmm. being all that close, which was disappointing for me. But um, I-, I think the question that we're asking is more, you know, let's not put it on the individual failings of these candidates and say, why did Democrats, congressional Democrats, seemingly across the nation underperform so poorly? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if we have the answers yet or if we will ever have the answers because, you know, one of those things is always arguing the counterfactual. You know, Joe, we don't have answers, but we have infinite takes. Takes as far as the eye can see. Hey, you should. I I changed my Twitter handle this week. I am slow roasted takes. I need to put these takes back in the oven. They need a few more days, but I really should have prepared. Yeah, I I should have prepared for this podcast. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is still a good result that, I mean, really, I mean, what we have been saying for a good long time is that Donald Trump 
presented a unique existential threat to American democracy and still does in some ways. So like one thing that happened over the week of quote, the anxiety was that, you know, Trump went basically unhinged on a whole bunch of stuff of asserting massive voter fraud to stop counts, that counting these votes was illegitimate. And basically all the relevant powers that be ignored him. Like most of the media, all the relevant, you know, judges and, you know, politicians and all that stuff that were surrounding those votes being counted in places like Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, and, you know, Michigan basically ignored what the president was saying and went on with what they had to do. So that was good. There hasn't been any judge that has really picked up on any of Trump's dubious legal filings. You know, he had one a small victory in Pennsylvania where he sued to have his poll watchers be closer to the counting. So they yeah, moved closer from to 10 feet, 10 <laughs> feet away to six feet away. Yeah, Which, the, the, the most substantial complaint was that you're letting my guys in the room, but they're not close enough. Right, right. Um, and he has just asserted wild voter fraud. And there has been um, a, a concerning number of people that I in my own life who have asserted that there is massive voter fraud, which currently there is no evidence of. But it's uh, it's been concerning. But like I said, all the relevant powers that be have essentially, you know, not taken the bait on it. But then also one thing that, you know, we are now uh, we are recording this on uh, Sunday, the 8th. It is a little concerning that only two out of the 53 Republican senators have acknowledged that Joe Biden won the presidency. Now, maybe it could be one of these things where they just wait a couple more days, see a few legal challenges heard out and you know mustered out and more votes are certified and they'll, you know, they'll acknowledge it because it's only been a day. But it is also a little concerning that they there is still lining up uh, kind of buying into this idea that any of Trump's legal threats could change this election. Well, I know Lindsey Graham called it a contested election and encouraged Donald Trump not to concede. Who besides Romney has acknowledged the Biden victory? Murkowski. Okay, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we're we're not in a gray area yet. I mean, it is still um just appalling that there <laughs> there has been a coup attempt. Uh an auto coup attempt by the Trump administration. Very unsuccessful, but a an attempt nonetheless of him to tr- him trying 
through whatever shitty ways that he can and nobody really listening to have votes not be counted in order to usurp the will of the people to try and stay in power, which hasn't happened, but (laughs) just very concerning that it was attempted to be done. Yeah, we've Um, never even had a a loser go through the motions before. This is already uncharted territory, even if it ends up going nowhere. Like sometimes there will be some legal challenges in an individual state where something's kind of weird, but Florida two thousand not. Yeah, but I mean, it happens in other elections as well. I mean, no, it doesn't. Never happened between now and then. That's the only one. Okay, okay, Um, and (laughs) but this is just at a and. Even the votes that are involved in the contest where it's close that are under legal uh, scrutiny aren't enough to measure up to a Trump loss. But there is still just um, (laughs) widespread belief in some corners of the populace that there is widespread rampant voter fraud. But then it's also interesting to me that I guess the fraud would only happen in one direction, Um, that there's only one group of people who would be trying to do some election fraud if it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, every single one of Trump's 71 million votes or whatever it is are valid, but there's a sizable number perhaps millions of Bidens that are contested or yeah. illegally cast. And it's like, huh, crazy. Just his. And that, and that these people who are so, you know, invested in rigging the election decided that it was enough to only rig the presidency, that they wouldn't try to win more house seats or win the Senate um, oh yeah but no just because you know that's that's what makes sense in a polarized world that requires cooperation between types of government just steal one of them at a time well right and also they were smart enough that they knew exactly how many votes were gonna they were gonna lose by on those states and you know only just put just enough so that the margins were razor thin yeah that's 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 how you do voter fraud, you know. <laughs> you don't. Well, well, we've learned a lot since 2016 when the Hillary Clinton voter fraud only stacked the boxes in California. Now we learned, oh shit, we have to, you know, distribute them out across other states so that we can get more electoral college votes. In 2016, nobody knew about the electoral college. We just had no clue. Right. So the cheating efforts are, are much more refined now. Well, yeah, when they decided to do the cheating in Georgia, they made sure, hey, it has to be under 10,000 votes win. Uh, you know, can't it has to be that close. It <laughs> Yeah, cuz like you said, they they already knew what the vote total would be yeah, and then could be. rig just enough votes to push it over to the other direction. Of course. Right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Dear God. Um, and it's uh, it's just unfortunate that because our country you know while we do not um, you know treat it 
solely like a right to vote in a, in a lot of different ways. There, as a country, we have some very fucking rigorous standards that uh, the states go through to ensure that votes are valid. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, sometimes uh, to register to vote, it's like, oh, you need what? Maybe two forms of ID. But then you think of all the verification that goes into the two forms of ID and then all the verification that goes into the things that verify the two forms of, you know, verify ID. <laughs> so there's a lot of things built into it to make sure that it has validity and then. You know, also the individual votes, you know, each one I'm sure has its own serial number. There aren't just a whole bunch of, you know, people act like our voting is like we literally just take a piece of paper, write Joe Biden or Donald Trump on it and (laughs) and put it in a box. And there's no way of knowing where those votes came from or you know, anything like that, but voters out there, I once worked on a political campaign and the campaigns know who you voted for. And like most of the elections, they know Mm -hmm. if you voted in a primary, they know if you voted in an off year primary, you know, these things that are markers for, and they know who you voted for as well. So, People know who voted for what. That's just not like, you know, you won't put most of the time won't put the names out there for public you know, consumption. But it isn't like there's just a whole bunch of votes. They go out into the ether and then people are like, well, them's the votes like every vote goes through a level of verification after the election. Again, it's not just a box full of votes and people go, them's the votes. It's yeah, like, you're not vote, voting for student council and writing down Ricky on a half sheet of three by five note card and then turning it in. Yeah. So there is a lot of verification that goes through. And hell, the, the mail-in votes go through more verification because, you know, they don't do whatever the little showing up, you know, thing does for verification. So... It's 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 concerning that. Well, and I think it's also just that some conspiracy theories in I mean, all conspiracy theories um, basically is a way to uh, mythologize the world that we have more control over the world than there really is than humans Mm -hmm. really can have. And voter fraud just plays right into that. Like, if you only look at it at the most macro level, you could maybe be like, oh, there must be something going on here. They, they're they counting votes and just so many for Joe Biden. But then if you look at it at a granular level, it's like, well, so Democrats were voted heavily vote by mail and the legislature specifically set rules that they couldn't count it. Uh, ahead of time so all we're getting is the joe biden votes that were you know disproportionately sent by mail and all the in-person votes were just you know were disproportionately for trump because they were told you know they didn't have to worry about the virus so that's how that went down 
Yeah, there's the name for it that they've come up with, the Red Mirage, where it would seem as though Republicans were doing very well on election night, but that it would actually be an illusion once all of the votes were counted. Because that's all that we're trying to do is count all of the votes that were legally cast. Just because the votes that ended up favoring Trump were counted earlier doesn't make them more legal or more valid. It's well, just so the a, first a, vote a matter that was of the counted, order of the vote count. The first vote that counted was the most legal, and the last one was the least legal. <laughs> it's so all really, on a spectrum. Yeah, election day is a sprint. The first person to come and hit the buzzer for their candidate gets to carry the They precinct. choose. Yep. <laughs> um... So, but I think if any, well, it's weird because this election, the kind of the way the results have shaken out, you know, it, it was a massive year for turnout, um, way and beyond what it has been in other years. I mean, the loser Donald Trump has more votes than Barack Obama won in his 2008 election, which was the previous high watermark and Joe Biden is looking to be on track to get like five to seven million more votes than that. Yeah. And also cool about the Biden win is that he's going to break 50%. And you, you might say, oh, well, duh, doesn't everyone who win wins break 50%? But no, because third party spoilers often take, you know, at least a percentage point or two. In some cases, you know, we've Mm -hmm. talked about it on the show before guys like uh, John Anderson, Ross Perot, they, they can command significant vote shares. So oftentimes you have a president who ends up getting, you know, like 46, 47 percent of the overall vote. But no, Joe Biden is going to have won more than half of the votes cast among all presidential candidates, not simply more than Trump. Uh huh. So. But but then we start getting into the question of why democrats didn't do better overall yes and that's 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 where it's going next but i do want to hang on this voter turnout point for just a second because i think it's really cool because as we talked about on the show not too long ago when i read and reviewed uh the good citizen by michael shudson we've learned that historically after you know in the progressive era and beyond it's very difficult to increase voter turnout and not only have the raw numbers of voters turning out been unprecedented the voter participation rate has gone up appreciably to the the highest levels that it's been in about a century so this was an actually successful campaign by whoever on either side of the political spectrum to get people to come out and vote. And I think people really felt like they had a stake in this election either way. And Mm -hmm. it's almost as if this polarization didn't lead us to paralysis, but actually in this moment with an N of one increased our civic participation in a way that as Shudson has noted is extraordinarily difficult to do. Uh Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to do. People were activated. If if nothing else, they were activated. But yeah, so so the question of why didn't Democrats 
do better. And, uh, you know, we don't have some people are wanting to go about, you know, whatever messaging on whatever thing. Um, you know, there is like a leaked uh, Dem caucus call where some moderate Dem was like, you know, I almost lost reelection because of defund the police and socialism. And then, you know, d- you know, the, you know, AOC comes out and it's like, oh, every person who ran in a swing district who supported Medicare for all won their election. And it's like, you know, you can go round and round on the specifics of this. But I think what really comes down to it is just kind of the fundamentals of it. So in the United States, you know, because of the states, if if everyone's vote was, you know, heaped into one giant pile, then you know, there's this thing called the median voter theory where to in order to win the election, you have to win over the person who is right in the middle of the spectrum because you would get that person and then everybody to whichever side you have. And that way you win elections. But there's you know, there's a lot of things wrong with it. But that's a general theory that in maybe some ways holds. But so what ends up happening in the United States because of the states and not just the population at the large, you, you end up having to play to the median median voter, which is to say the median voter of the median state, which in the United States, if you were to, you know, the median state, which is the 25th state based on partisanship is Georgia. And Georgia has a plus like six or seven percentage point lean towards Republicans. So geographically through the Senate, like we've discussed in other times, heavily favors Republicans. It's a tilted board to them by like six or seven percentage points. And that's a hard thing to play against. And we saw in a lot of states that, you know, the Senate map is just increasingly getting harder for uh, Democrats to win because there's only a minority of states that are handily Democratic where there are a lot more states that lean Republican as a total function of their whole statehood. And since things are distributed through state-wise, it's it's hard for Democrats to crawl back victories for something like that. Even, Even on a year where it looks like you know, Joe Biden may be winning by five or six points. That ends up not being enough to overcome the kind of plus six or seven Republican bias that the Senate map has for them. Yeah, and I definitely think that everything that you're saying is is really solid analysis. I just also want to bring up something that I have heard and been thinking about and that is part of what we call underperformance was just inaccuracy 
in state level polling. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like Donald Trump was uniquely unpopular, um, you know, elected, never winning a majority within the Republican primaries, never winning a majority in the presidential race, never winning and never having a, a approval rate above 50 percent and now clearly losing by a large popular vote margin to Joe Biden. But what we're kind of learning is that for whatever reason, and we don't have enough data on this yet, but it appears that national level polling seems to be somewhat reliable. It looks like the the way that we thought the election was going to go from the national scale is going that way. But the state level polling has been just trash. And it doesn't seem like on a state by state basis, pollsters are able to weight their samples effectively. And so it leads to a lot of distortion, which made us believe that Democrats were going to perform a lot better when in reality, a guy like uh, the South Carolina guy, Jamie uh, Harris, Jamie Harris was never going to win. Yeah, it just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't in the cards. Um, yeah, he just never like, had enough people in South Carolina who were really going to go vote for him. Like, the the correct way to see it isn't that he blew a huge lead. It was that that lead never existed to begin with. Um, yeah, in anything other than the construct of the polls, there were never that many people in South Carolina who really thought about voting for him. Yeah. Um the th- you know same thing with like uh Susan Collins in Maine and it it's also just it's also interesting because there it's been kind of a wash as far as senate candidates performance in relation to Biden like i saw a graphic where it's basically like half the Democratic Senate candidates ran ahead of Biden and half the Democratic Senate candidates ran behind him. <laughs> and so there isn't like, I mean, there what at least from what we can tell right now, there is no silver bullet of what Democrats need to do or what was uniquely you know what was in their control that they could change to make things better yeah yeah i think and this is something that i think iglesias has been talking about a lot on twitter it's very tempting right now if you're progressive to say well the democrats need to become a more progressive party and they'll win more votes and if you're a centrist it's very tempting right now to say well the dems didn't do better because of you know backlash against the the green new deal but mm-hmm. we, we don't have enough data to prove either of those sentiments in any sort of persuasive way. And so you just got to kind of take a step back and reorient around trying to figure out what is actually going on and what is electorally, electorally salient moving mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Um. And, you know, it, it, it's also just crazy to me that it feels like the onus on Democrats is always that they have to, like, ultra explain themselves and be yeah. positive. 
like you hear all these things from undecided voters. It's like, well, I just want them to be for something and not just against Trump. And this goes to our, um, I love making references to our pre-show conversation that our people don't listen to. But essentially, <laughs> you end up arguing against people who aren't even in the party or in the running. So people will say, I wish Joe Biden you know, stood for something and wasn't just anti-Trump when his whole campaign was like, we're going to be a better you know, country and all this kind of stuff. And somehow that's just a dig on Donald Trump. Where, again, from the Trump era, where any positive assertion of any good, greater good is seen as a dig against Donald Trump because he doesn't follow it whatsoever. But or or like in the debates where it's like, I wish he would just not, you know, have ideas. And then, he, you know, for the policy wonks of us, you know, maybe Joe Biden's performance wasn't as great on that, but he would certainly had more ideas and did more explaining on his ideas than Donald Trump did. But it's just, um, you know, it's kind of a where to go from here. Um, there are the two election runoff elections in Georgia. That'll be interesting, but very historically uh, runoffs or special elections tend to flip to the opposite party of who just won the presidency Mm -hmm. because the base, uh, you know, the other side is freshly galvanized because of that fresh loss. So it is more Andrew than Yang's likely. Andrew going to Georgia, though. Andrew's packing oh. up his whole family and going. Yep he he wants to he wants to help those Senate seats with all his uh, humanity first money. Ah. ah, but I do think that this this Georgia double special election is going to give us a really interesting case study in sort of what matters in politics because I think if you end up having either party claim both of those seats, then you can say, okay, well, people are just voting down the ticket based on the party. And so that's what it, uh, that's the result. But I kind of like the idea, or I'm hopeful that maybe there's a situation where it gets split and we can kind of have the, oh, the candidates do matter type of take, you know, (laughs) like I would, I I would love it if, especially if Kelly Loeffler lost because she's a fucking criminal you know like she's Uh so bad um so i would love to see you know like even if i i think that well my my prediction is that the republicans will win both seats um and i think that you you spell out the reason why joe the republicans will be galvanized voters will have sort of the you know voters who want to appear to be moderates will have this idea of oh i want to i want to have this divided government so that you know everyone's checking on each other which doesn't really make sense but people still think that and and Um, also just the fact that georgia is the median state based on party lean and it is still plus like six or seven percentage points towards republicans like, there you go. Yeah, that has to be overcome as well. <laughs> yeah, but l- look at Kelly Leffler, who got the coronavirus briefing, was told how bad it would be, 
continued to downplay it in public at the same time that she was selling all her stocks before the market had a chance to gain access to that information. So, you know, Mm -hmm. misappropriated information that she obtained in her status as a government official. um, Absolutely wretched. And I would love it if that would matter. And she would lose even despite all of the impulse that the Republicans should pull it out there. But I guess we'll see. We'll see. Um, so that's kind of the state of play of things. Um, I don't... It, it's going to be interesting going into this because at least for... Well, so the Senate, the Georgia runoff elections are on the 5th, so there really won't be a whole lot of delay on having the Senate you know, be in place, but at least in the meantime, uh, Mitch McConnell will still be the majority leader in the Senate. Yeah. Democrats I, I don't see it changing, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there, there is the kind of hopeful take that maybe in this unique scenario, Joe Biden being Joe Biden and the way he goes about business and his relationship with people in the Senate may be able to get more done out of this situation than any other hypothetical president in this situation as far as legislation goes. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. But that's that's kind of one of the key questions, you know, Biden has sold himself as a politician who even within highly polarized times will work across the aisle and and break through that gridlock. And Mm -hmm. now we all have a chance to see if he was right or not. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, it is also. So um, there was an Ezra Klein show that got released early. It was supposed to be the Monday episode, but got released instead. And. It was with uh, this guy who did a biography on Joe Biden and and they kind of talked about his kind of negotiating style vis-a-vis Obama's negotiating style. And, you know, from what they were saying and, you know, seems true from the Obama era, you know, at least the way most Democrats went about things was like Obama would come to a negotiation and already decide that he knows what you want and kind of just offer that and explain why you want whatever the thing is. And, you know, I, I once heard this joke that, you know, if, you know, the way Obama negotiated deals was like, if he went up to someone and was like, Hey, I like you, you like me, we should just be married, you know, and never go on any dates. (laughs) Like, that's the Obama strategy to negotiation, whereas Joe Biden's, you know, to whatever greater or lesser extent this is valid, his idea was generally to never tell anyone what was in their best interest. Like, apparently even, you know, he would get the most mad at AIDS if they ever briefed him on how to tell someone about what they wanted was in their best interest. So his idea is to go to them 
with deference, let them, the other party, say what they want and feel like they are being heard in that and then work around whatever that is. And who knows? Maybe this is, you know, maybe this will be something. I mean, most of the deals that came together during the Obama administration, which ended up failing later because of political reasons, but were at least crafted by Joe Biden as a head, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a joke that Obama did at a one of the press correspondence dinners. And it was like, people keep telling me to have a beer with Mitch McConnell. Why don't you have a beer with Mitch McConnell? (laughs) And (laughs) and um, he just really didn't like hanging out with Mitch McConnell. But Joe Biden will go hang out with Mitch McConnell every day of the week. You know, go to the Senate gym to get some uh, schmoozing in, you know, stuff like that. So who knows what this will bring about if there is a way, you know, if there was any person who would uniquely be able to bring about any sort of positive legislation through a gridlock, you know, a a uh, ununified uh, federal government where you know, the the Republicans have control of the Senate. If there was anybody who would be able to navigate this situation and have positive outcomes and not just straight gridlock, I would think it would be Joe Biden. Yeah, um, that's the optimistic view of it. Of course, there's the uh, layer of doubt that creeps in, A, when you realize that it really, to some extent, doesn't matter what Joe Biden wants to do. It matters what Mitch McConnell will let him do because he, he wields Senate power so effectively. And then there's the secondary concern that even if Joe Biden, the best case scenario comes to pass where he is an effective negotiator, that every bill that he's able to pass will have to be too watered down to face the vast problems brewing in terms of, climate change or even in the more immediate sense coronavirus and if you know we don't get sweeping climate legislation a half measure isn't going to cut it it might be that joe biden is willing to negotiate with mcconnell but that what mcconnell will agree to will be effectively meaningless so um that's why kind of my big takeaway from all of this electoral stuff. And don't get me wrong, I'm very happy that the presidential race broke the way that it did. I voted for Biden. I I, I thought it was very important to make sure that that was the first step in reversing course for the country. But I, I just, I feel more passionate now than ever about getting reform, structural reforms to the nature of our oh, yeah. democracy done. I, I want to, this is kind of my big passion project for once, uh, you know, COVID makes it safe to try to be in groups again. I want to find a group that is advocating for ranked choice voting and multi-member districts and fair redistricting and electoral college abolition. I mean, I just, I, I think that without those types of things... Um, we're not really going to be able to rise to the big challenges of today and certainly not to the uncertain challenges in the future. So 
that's that's kind of my biggest takeaway is I'm I'm very happy that Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. will become <laughs> the next president of the United States. But I feel like it ain't going to mean much unless we fix a bunch of other things. Well, yeah. I mean, couched in my optimistic take is that this is the best scenario that we could happen, but it's not going to be anywhere near of what we want to happen. Yeah. Um, that's that's essentially the take. But, yeah, you know, I... <laughs> You know, I made a, a video about the Electoral College after the last one, and I want to make like a re, uh, you know, uh, a sequel where it's like, yeah, and the guy I wanted to win won with a lot of votes. And you know what? It should still be abolished. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's kind of the crazy thing is that, again, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about in the pre-show and then that Joe referenced earlier is arguing against the imagined other. Because, yeah, I'm seeing conservatives post on social media, oh, her, 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 liberals, you still want to get rid of that electoral college? And yes, we do. Everyone is like, that, yes. <laughs> that hasn't changed. It's still a flawed system. Just yeah. because, in this case, it didn't blow up the country doesn't mean that it still isn't a ticking time bomb. We definitely still support abolition of the electoral college. Or, you know, this is definitely a step removed, but... You know, it's uh, it's November 8th. We're still talking about COVID. It didn't go away. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. this was not a fucking hoax, people. We we were yeah. not just trying to leverage this into some Biden victory that now that we have it, it's time to let it go. No, people are still dying. Cases are surging. Um, my wife doesn't know if she can go back to working in school on Monday because there's still so many fucking positive cases in Indiana. You yeah. know, there's 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 no liberals out here saying that COVID doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. What was the point? I don't know. Joe Biden, we got a lot of work to do. Um, get rid of the electoral college, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've been uh, I've been thinking of on the democracy front is uh so there was one of the original proposed amendments that I believe Madison brought that was a set of 12. Ten of them ended up getting you know, ratified, and uh, you know those were the original 10. There was one that ended up getting ratified in, I believe, 1992 because it was just kind of open-ended and you know uh, enough states ratified it, and I think that was something to do with congressional pay and how that worked. But there's one more still on the docket from those original, I believe it was 12, it may have been 14, but there is one where it basically stated, and at this size of this country, that there would be a right to have one representative in the House of Representatives for every 50,000 people. And... I think that should be something to make a push towards. Yeah, and, I agree. And then also, you know, we have this since we've decided to have this constitutional government and there is such a fervent belief in it um, and, you know, getting rid of things, at least core institutions is not really on the table, i.e. the Senate. I think, you know, I've been trying to spitball an idea 
of something where every state is still guaranteed two senators, but for every, you know, million of people that you have in your state, you also get plus one senator. So, like, if your state has four million people, you would get your two base senators, but then you would also get four additional population-based senators. So the senators still have a greater weight towards them, but there is at least some valence in regards to population to make it more democratic. Yeah, Senate reform is really interesting because you get sort of some really kooky, but at the same time, not too stupid ideas that come out of it. It's um, Astra Taylor is a political scientist, and I, I was introduced to her on the Ezra Klein show. And her idea for the Senate is, you know, if it's going to be two per state, fuck it. Let's not even elect them. Let's randomly pull people from their respective states to come and serve a Senate term. Because uh-huh. it, it, random representation makes us just yeah. At this point, if it's if it's like arbitrarily gerrymandered based on the the shape of land borders that somebody drew a hundred years ago, fuck mm-hmm. it, just just make them random citizens. And that you know, there's sort of democratic theorizing about the merits of that in and of itself. You know, the idea uh, back in Athenian democracy was that you would, you know, someone from the polity would just be plucked to serve and then serve and then go back to being a a peanut farmer or whatever, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter. Um, So is that likely to happen? No, but when, when we start talking about ways to make the Senate work, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of room for creativity, I should say, yeah. that is open to us if we don't want to just throw up our hands and say, well, no, can't change it. Nothing's possible. Yeah. Which I feel like is a growing sentiment among a very politically relevant subset of people. Yeah. But that's that's a bigger tangent yeah. for another time. <laughs> well, and then I also have the belief that the Senate as an institution was more democratically legitimate when it was the states who appointed the senators. Now, why would it be any more or less? Yeah, I want to I want to tease apart your reasoning. Essentially, my reasoning is that it it can be more legitimate if it truly was that it was just representatives of the state going to represent the you know state itself in that capacity in this one chamber where it was the chamber of the states. Whereas if you vote for them, then they just become any old congressperson. I mean, they they they're representative of the people, but they are wildly misrepresentative of the people. It's just kind of a small distinction of whether they are end up representing people or whether they end up representing the state in general. Yeah, I see where you're going. It's not that at the time of the state legislature selection that it was more representative. It was just that it was, uh, there was less of the guise of it being representative, that it wasn't trying to create a thing that was representative of citizenry. It was more naked in its realization that it was going to represent state interests. And this actually brings me to the big thing that I've been working on in my head. Um, I understand 
we were formed as a, a nation of states and there's been a, a strong history in our country of states but does it make sense in modern america to have states have their interests so supremely guarded i i'm kind of feeling like maybe we need a, a round of reform that says we strengthen the federal government and we strengthen local governments that can actually be responsive to citizens and kind of hollow out state governments and state interests. I haven't done all of the necessary thought on this yet, <laughs> but that's kind of what I'm leaning on. Fuck states. Like, we, we can gain competitive advantages from collectively governing as a nation, and then municipalities can be responsive to the daily concerns of their citizens. But what do we really gain from having an extra middle level of bureaucracy? I mean... I generally agree, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we can ask those questions, but it, you know, it, it it's kind of like our debate on the, uh, what is it? Utopian thinking versus the pragmatic thinking. <laughs> like I can convince myself that there is a bigger, chance that is still pretty close to zero that we could reform the senate through some means and that's a bigger chance than the also non-zero but pretty close to zero chance that we could just essentially diminish the role of states in our government <laughs> but you know again there there's just kind of a chasm in my thinking like yeah i can there, there would be a lot of benefits to kind of hollowing out states as a construct and then being able to govern at the higher level. But then also, I don't know what would bring about that <laughs> and if it would be any way uh, seen as legitimate by any segment of the population. But, you know, if go do your thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a very very baby idea you know i gotta i gotta grow him up i gotta feed him gotta change his diapers make him strong and then you know we'll see we'll see if he gets into a good college yeah uh yeah so who knows with it we should uh i don't know we should uh we should sometime do an episode with our kind of grand ideas of what we should do in a democracy or yeah. reforms. Okay, yeah. So we have uh, a viewer mailbag for the first time in a while coming from listener Mark, who is my dad. I'll be transparent about it. <laughs> um, so um, my dad is frustrated by Joe and I's decision when we were voting to recall all of the judges because he believes that, uh, you know, my dad's a lawyer and he sees a lot of good in the work that most judges are doing and um there was an incident where uh, someone who he knew personally was the victim of basically a a targeted hit job and a, a highly moneyed campaign to get him recalled which was successful and so um my dad cautions us my, myself and joe as well as all of our listeners to actually maybe do a little bit more research into what judges are on the ballot and, um, you know, think very carefully about the decision to recall. So that is that is our viewer mailbag for the week. 
um, um the two week period I just want, actually yeah i just want to say um while i completely agree with that sentiment everything with the recalling judges was prefaced with like I'm so responsible about all these other things. I research everything and I'm going to be a little frivolous and just vote to recall the judges. <laughs> and I'm basic. It's basically just getting reminded, ah, this thing that you're frivolous about has actual consequences. And I'm like, mm, I know, but I don't I, want to, I don't, <laughs> I don't want there to I be wanna, consequences. I want to be a little frivolous. <laughs> so that's the show. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, just as we are recording this, um, just looking at my phone, I guess um, Alex Trebek has passed away. Oh, the host fuck. of Jeopardy. Yeah. Damn just, had, it. just came out a few minutes ago. So. Oh, well, rest in peace, Alex. One of the most respected uh, men on syndicated tv of all time yeah. um just an absolute treat having him host jeopardy uh been, but he'd been sick for a while but it looked yeah. like he had had kind of turned a corner but you know he was old lived a great life ah oh, fuck rest in peace yeah. trebek yeah well on the positive note of Joe Biden winning, the negative note of Democrats not taking the Senate, and the really down note of Alex Trebek passing away. We would like to thank you for listening. We would like to uh, thank Anthony Hish for the music as always. But my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been adequately informed.